Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 59 of Conquering Columbus. Our guest on the show today is uh, pretty well known throughout Columbus, and if you've been living here for any amount of time, I'm sure you've been inside one of his restaurants, from Cap City Fine Diner to The Pearl and Marcella's down in the short north. Uh, Cameron Mitchell has always found a way to succeed in the restaurant business, and we think you guys are going to learn a lot from our interview with him. But before we dive into that, I want to take a moment and remind you all, Go ahead and look at whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. Click that subscribe button. It really helps us out, and it'll make sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. The last thing we want to do before we get this episode rolling is take a moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more and check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. And if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city, please reach out to me at mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. And one last thing before we get this episode rolling, conquerors, we want to hear from you. There will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode, and if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Uh, we're real excited for today's show. we got a special guest, Mr. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. And uh, for those of you who haven't heard of Cameron, if you've been living under a rock, uh, you've definitely heard of his restaurants, uh, starting with Cameron's in 1993. Uh, Cameron has grown his restaurant business by excelling at developing winning concepts in a variety of different styles, from Cap City Fine Diner and the Avenue Steak Tavern to Marcella's, The Barn, The Pearl, and more. 
Uh, Cameron's found a way to succeed, and we're really excited to have him here on the show today. Welcome to Conquer Columbus, Cameron. Thank you. Glad to be here with you. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here today. So uh, how's your day going? It's a nice Saturday morning out. Well, it's going well. I got my workout over with, and I'm ready to go. So. And live pretty close to the office here in Grandview then? Uh-huh. I do. I live in South Arlington. Yep. You spend most of your time here in Columbus? Or are you all over the place right now? Or? Well, I travel probably two days a week on average, uh, three weeks a month. But uh, uh, home, Columbus has always been my home and always will be my home. Where are some of those places that you're traveling to currently? Well, I travel to our restaurants. We have restaurants across the country, and we're always looking at new sites. So we're working on a deal in Chicago, for instance. So I'm going to Chicago quite a bit, and uh, just kind of wherever uh, the business takes me. So usually a place that we like to kick off to kind of give our listeners a good, well-rounded um, background in you and kind of where you come from and set the stage for everything is talk about your childhood mm-hmm. and maybe your time going up through education and when you first branched out and started becoming an entrepreneur. Sure. Uh, so my childhood was a rough childhood. I grew up in Arlington, but my uh, folks split when I was nine and my mom uh, and dad were relatively little means. And so um, it got a little difficult for a while and I got into drugs and alcohol and smoking uh, in seventh grade and it got worse from there. And I blamed my mom, blamed my dad, blamed everybody. and for my situation. Eventually it got so bad where I dropped out of high school, my sophomore year of high school. Um, I ran away from home and uh, lived on the streets for a while and it was kind of an ugly time. Uh, and then I <clears throat> came back what would have been my uh, night before my junior year was to start and I came back and um, during that year in high school, my mom really couldn't even afford to give me lunch money. She was an administrative assistant and, and really wasn't making any money. And so. I needed to get a job, and so I worked. I uh, got a job at a local steakhouse uh, called uh, Cork and Cleaver way back when, which is now the old Hyde Park or on Hyde Park on Henderson Road. And <clears throat> excuse me, so I started washing dishes and bussing tables and just working for uh, spending money and beer money at the time and so forth. And uh, I eventually, uh, at the end of my se- uh, junior year, as I was trying to work and get back into class and so forth, but. Uh, uh, in high school, I never really had the uh, will-do. I had the can-do, but not the will-do. And so, But I did uh, run for senior class president, and I won, so I became senior class president at Arlington High School. And uh, I was working in Quirk and Cleaver my senior year and having fun, and uh, all along the way, I didn't pay much attention to my grades. And finally, I uh, came to graduation time, and I didn't have the grades and uh, to graduate. And so I was the first class president at Arlington not to be able to deliver the commencement address. And... Uh, finally got out in summer school after summer school my senior year and uh, most kids in Arlington went off to college that was a standard procedure for 90 plus percent of the kids in Arlington I didn't want to go to college because I didn't know what I wanted to do so uh, I was just working uh, living with mom working for beer money I got a job at Max Nermas uh, on Henderson Road back then in 1981 opened December 7th of 1981 and back then Max Nermas was packed and hopping and, and really one of the great restaurant and top restaurants in the city and um, it was, uh, I was the laziest guy in the kitchen and I was working for beer money and working for the man and all that. And, uh, I got, was late one too many times, uh, and got suspended and put on uh, 30 days, three days, uh, suspension and 30 days probation. And I came back and during that probationary period, I was just struggling. I was 18. Uh, this is now February of, uh, 1982 and not even a year out of high school yet. <coughs> Excuse me. And... I didn't know what I wanted to do, and so laziest guy in the kitchen on Friday during shift change, I was working a double shift that night, 
uh, A.M. Cook and a P.M. Hulst, and it was pandemonium on that Friday afternoon shift change. And, you know, the A.M. shift was leaving, the P.M. shift was coming on, the managers were barking orders, and it was and the restaurant was half full already, and, and it was just kind of crazy. And I looked across the line in the kitchen, and I had an epiphany. I said, uh, uh, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. I love this. And so I went home that night, and I after my double shift, and I wrote out my goals, and I said, uh, I was going to be going to go to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York, which I had heard was the top culinary school in the world. Uh, I was going to graduate, and at 23, I was going to become executive chef. Within five years was my goal. I was 18 at the time. Uh, 24, I was going to be a general manager. 26, a regional manager. 30, vice president of operations. And by 35, I was going to be president of a restaurant company. At that point in time, I was thinking like Max and Irma's or something like that. And... I woke my mom up at 1 in the morning, and I showed her my goals, and she was quite relieved. And uh, uh, I woke up the next morning and went to work, and, and I uh, on Friday I was the laziest guy in the kitchen working for beer money and working for the man. On Saturday I was the hardest working guy in the kitchen working for my career and my future and working for myself. And so, uh, and I have been the hardest working guy ever since, and so I never really looked back from there, and I uh, fell in love with the restaurant business at that point. So here I am today. So can we dive a little bit more into that pivotal moment where all of a sudden for you just kind of clicked and you mm-hmm. decided that you wanted to kind of change your life? I mean, you'd spent a lot mm-hmm. of time kind of just getting by and not really, it seems like extremely motivated or mm-hmm. depending on the future. So what kind of happened in that situation? Well, I, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I was just floundering. I mean, you know, I was 18. I wasn't a boy. I wasn't a man. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and, and I was just surviving, basically, and uh, um, and when I had that moment of clarity in my life where I knew what I wanted to do um, and I had my goal set uh, and from that point forward I, I you know I met every one of those goals and and I just keep kept pushing along and so um, that Saturday morning was when I put that first step forward and you know and it's one step in front of the other and, and just keep going so uh, that for me I, and I was very blessed too you know a lot of people don't go through their life go through their lives and not really know what they want to do or or kind of fall into what they're doing or whatever, but uh, uh, I truly have a passion for the hospitality business, and I love it. And I quote, go to work every day, but I really don't go to work. I don't even delineate between work and play and uh, uh, family and travel and, and friends. I'm I'm having a good time no matter what I do. So it's uh, it's what I love. So it's it's really I've been very blessed. So a lot of our listeners out there, are young professionals, um, you know, ages 20 to 20 to 30. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people in that age range are having the same issue where they don't really know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. They're not sure where they want to go with their lives, their careers. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that you think that triggered that event that you made you realize this is what I want to do the rest of my life? Like, how could people go about trying to find that same epiphany for themselves? Well, uh, no, I think for me, it, I was just lucky it happened. You know, uh, someone asked me before, you know, uh, did you know how did you find the restaurant business? I said I didn't really find the restaurant business; it found me, and I. I honestly think if I uh, uh, started uh, sweeping car lots uh, at 18, I might own a bunch of car dealerships today. So it was, for me, I was just looking for that one thing, uh, looking for that answer, and and I found it. And some people find it at uh, 18, some people know at 12 they want to be a doctor, you know, and and some people don't find it until they're 30 or, or later. So, but it's it's a matter of getting out there, and a lot of it's positive attitude. I was ready uh, to. Uh, find out what I want to do. I, I knew I wanted to do something, and, it, and it, so it was, so mentally I was already prepared for when that happened. 
And there was a question in there that I was going to ask later on in the interview, but you kind of brought it up and you said if you had worked at sweeping carpets, you might own a chain of mm -hmm. car lots or mm -hmm. whatever it was mm -hmm. down in the future. So I was going to ask, do you think that you would have been successful in any other industry had you chosen another path and you kind of addressed it there? But do you think any of that was rooted in your childhood, the way that you grew up, that you wanted to really make a name for yourself? I mean, you probably grew up around other successful people in mm -hmm. that area who were going off to college, like you said, and doing certain things. Well, for sure. Uh, that, there's a combination of a couple things there. One, I grew up in uh, Arlington, and Arlington's a very affluent community. I, I say I joke, I lived in the have-not section, and uh, I live in the have section now, and um, I coveted that. And I saw all these, uh, I was surrounded by wealth, and so uh, I knew um, I wasn't going to hit the lottery and I wasn't going to inherit it, so there's only one way to get uh, be successful, and that was to work hard, So and it had to come from me. So that I knew. Um, I also, if you look back at my life, uh, uh, it was very entrepreneurial from the get-go, and I, I was, uh, uh, I evolved in whether it be my Cub Scout troop, I became the, the troop leader, or class president of my high school, or, or wherever I've been, I've always kind of risen up to a leadership position, and I've always been entrepreneurial. I've always uh, 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 figured out ways to make money and, and uh, tried to, different things, and so it's just, uh, I started a lawn business at one point when I was early and 18, and uh, didn't go well because I didn't have any passion for the lawn business. But uh, um, still, it just uh, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. I've always uh, uh, loved business, and I just needed to find uh, that niche which worked for me, and that happened to be the restaurant business. So let's dive in a little bit, kind of moving forward, and talk <coughs> a little bit about the 55 Restaurant Group mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and your work there. So what was what were you doing there, and what led you to leave? So, uh, yeah, sure, no problem. I, I, uh, I started with the 55 Group right out of college. I got recruited uh, with them from an old boss of mine at Max and Hermes. And, and so uh, I opened up the, and back then the 55 Restaurant Group was very hot. It was the hottest group in the, country, the city. Uh, they had one fine dining white tablecloth restaurant downtown, and we were opening up our second one up at Crosswoods at the time. And I got hired in there as sous chef at uh, 22, and I graduated Culinary Institute. And uh, I became executive chef at 23, like my goal was, downtown at White Tablecloth, top 10 restaurant in Columbus. And Did you go to Hyde Park in New York? Sorry to Yeah, yeah. So I, I first got turned down from there because my high school grades. So uh, that's kind of a side story itself. Uh, I got turned down from my high school grades, so I had to go to Columbus State, take some math and English courses. I got A's, reapplied, and I finally got accepted. And um, uh, years later, um, I became, and it, it, I fell in love with that school, the, the basically the first day I was there and loved it ever since and I eventually uh, became on the, the first alumni board chair of the Board of Trustees. Uh, I became the youngest ever uh, board chair of the Board of Trustees and I'm now the largest alumni donor to the school. So it's, they kind of, we kind of joke back and forth, uh, they're glad they accepted me, I'm glad they accepted me and everything worked <laughs> out. So anyways, uh, so I graduated from there, started the 55 group as, as sous chef. Got promoted to executive chef at 23. At 24, I got promoted to general manager. And at 26, uh, we had built four restaurants. And my boss, uh, the operating partner, uh, it got too much for him. And so he needed someone to help him run the operations of those four restaurants. And we had our corporate chef. So really the three of us plus our CFO kind of ran this little restaurant group, which was owned by uh, some wealthy local businessmen here in town. And, and uh, so I, I worked a few more years in that position, and at 28, um, I started to hit my head on the ceiling. You know, we had six restaurants at the time, and um, 
my boss was a real micromanager, and and so uh, he, the business started to kind of grow past him, and he couldn't keep up with all the details of the business and got very frustrated, and it was very frustrating to work with. And he was a good restaurateur and a good guy. He just, it just wasn't his uh, skill set. And then on top of that, it was owned by these wealthy businessmen, and they didn't care about that business. It was a hip pocket business for them. They were developers, and they were wanted to start this restaurant company, put these restaurants in their developments and so forth. But it really was a... And they didn't even respect us in the business. And so I got frustrated. I saw what was going on out there in the country, multi-concept restaurants and exciting stuff. And Columbus was pretty boring at the time. And and uh, so here I was frustrated. Uh, and um, I went to Spaggio's one night on Grandview Avenue. And I was sitting there after work on a Friday night. I always joke my epiphanies only happen on Fridays. because my first one did too. And, and this was just as powerful. And so I was at the bar uh, having a drink, and Chef Hubert was out working in the dining room. Chef, uh, and the place was packed, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Again, another moment of clarity. I said, uh, "You know, I'm going to start my own restaurant company. I can do this." And that was it. And so I left five weeks later, July 11th, 1992. So, uh, and I just surpassed my 25-year anniversary. The company's birth date is really next October 5th will be our 25-year anniversary for the company. But I left. Uh, July 11th, 1992, and started to start Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. And so uh, the first thing I did, I had one bedroom apartment up on the north end of town at the Continent, and um, Continent's pretty run down now. Back in the day, it was okay. And, and uh, um, so I left. All I had was a couple thousand bucks, a legal pad and a pen, and, and my one bedroom apartment. And so I, the first thing I did was, uh, and I was smart enough to do this, and I don't know how I was smart enough to do it, I just innately knew, um, so I wrote out our company culture and values, and because I knew I wanted to build a restaurant company, I knew, but I, and I wanted that restaurant company to be built on uh, its culture and values, not built on me, not wrapped around me. And I wanted something bigger than me. And the culture and values is thir- you know, 24/7, 365, whether I'm there or not. So um, <clears throat> I did that, and I researched a lot of books, and and researched my career, and thought about the things I wanted, you know, how I wanted to be treated, and I built this very people-centric culture. And then I said about about the course of building a restaurant company based on that culture and values, and I'm still doing that very same thing today, 25 years later. And diving into that in a little bit more detail, what were some of your ups and downs through that first year or first couple of years at the first restaurant, knowing that, I mean, the restaurant industry in general is one of the largest failures <coughs> for most people, mm-hmm. and whether it's inventory controls or mm-hmm. successfully fulfilling on the culture they set mm-hmm. out for themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, there's, it's kind of a misnomer with the restaurant business having such a high failure rate, which it does. There's no doubt about it. Um, but the reason why is because it's a relatively low barrier to entry. So, uh, and a lot of people want to get into it. You know, I, I tell people, you know, uh, nobody walks around a grocery store pushing a grocery cart saying, you know, I really want to be a grocer. And on top of that, to become a grocer, it, <laughs> there's a lot of capital and, 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 and so forth that needed to start. Restaurant business is relatively easy to get into. So... That's why that failure rate is so high is because people aren't prepared for it um, It's you know, and don't know what they're really doing. So uh, I had worked really hard. I'd you know, been in the business over 10 years at that point in time. I'd uh, gone to the top culinary school in the country. I prepared myself always towards that goal of being president of a restaurant company. I just didn't know it was going to be my company at the time So when I wrote that goal. But I always wanted to be president. So 
The hardest part uh, in the beginning was, you know, raising the capital, and because uh, I had no money, I'd moved back into my mom's house, and my first uh, business I worked on actually uh, fell through. <clears throat> so I worked for six months on a building downtown by the North Market, and the, uh, you know, I raised the money, I put the business plan together, I laid out the kind of the, the format and the name for it and everything, and we're getting ready to sign the lease, and through, this is now Christmas, uh, December of 1992, and the landlord started going silent on us, and my attorney, who was helping me at the time, said, hey, uh, I don't know what the problem is, we'll find out soon enough, but there's a problem here, and he was smart enough, to, you know, he'd been in business, he knew, and so he said, I would, if I were you, I'd work on plan B, so I started looking for other sites, and uh, over the course of that, and I remember being super depressed, because I'd moved out of my apartment, I was completely broke, and uh, and this deal was falling through, and actually was quite fortuitous because uh, that location wasn't near as good, and I may not be sitting here today if I would have gotten in that location. So, um, anyways, I uh, uh, sure enough, uh, the landlord went bankrupt. He was trying to stave off the bank from bankruptcy from t- re- repossessing the building, and that's why he was running silent on us. Why he was trying to deal with the bank, and the bank eventually got control of the building and said, "We know we don't want to rest on here in the bottom of this building. You need to go away." So. Uh, at that point in time, I had found another location. Fortunately, I'd been working on that, and I scrambled to put a new business plan together and, and sent all my partners their checks back, and, and I did a new business plan, a new offering document for what is now Cameron's or Worthington up on 161, and I finally got in there, and I closed that uh, deal. I was down to my last $70 rolling change to buy groceries, and I finally closed that deal. I had raised the 400000 that I needed, and... Uh, and I remember when I got those last checks, two checks for $5,000 to get me the 400 where I could break escrow. It was a Friday afternoon, and I was too late to go to the bank, but uh, I still had a hell of a happy hour and a great weekend. And Monday morning, I opened up our bank account, and I deposited the 400000 I was able to break escrow because I raised all the funds, and I wrote myself back a check. This is now March of 1992. And I wrote myself back a check for seven grand that I had spent on you know, copying and business plans and mailings and all that sort of thing to put the whole thing together. And so I, and I charged it off to pre-opening expenses and I lived off that seven grand until we opened October 5th of 1993. And uh, since then, uh, we've done a couple billion dollars in sales. Uh, I've opened uh, about 86 restaurants since then. And um, it's been, it's been a great run. It's been a lot of challenges uh, of course and for every one bad day I have I've got 10 good ones but we always get some bad ones in there and uh, but it's been a great run and a lot of fun and uh, um, you know I'm just uh, super happy to be here at this point at this stage of the game definitely and so early on with that first restaurant that was Cameron's American Bistro mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. and so it when did you go from one restaurant when did you open your second <laughs> good story there good question so I opened my second restaurant, Cameron's uh, in Bexley, 11 months later. And I opened my third restaurant a year later, which is Cap City Grandview, which is still to this day our busiest restaurant in terms of people coming through the door. It's not our busiest restaurant in terms of dollar volume because uh, it's got a relatively low check average. But as far as people, it's, it, it typically will do 3,000 guests every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It was like that Max Nermis was when I, way back when. And, and it's been a great restaurant for us. But... I remember my partners, I got in a little feud with some of my partners because I hadn't paid, obviously I hadn't paid them all their money back in 11 months. And uh, they were frustrated that I was going to go open another restaurant before I had paid their money back. And I said, well, uh, if we if we work that way, it's going to take a long time to uh, for me to ever build very, very many restaurants. And so uh, um, 
and it turned out to be great. Then we opened up Martini uh, a year later, and so really four years into it, I had four restaurants, and uh, it was about a $10 million business at that point in time, and, and things were going pretty good, and we started to get some traction and some brand name recognition here in Columbus, and, and then the rest is history. We've you know now built a bunch of restaurants. And was there ever a point early on in that first year of uh, Cameron's that you were concerned, or was there any time where you felt like, hey, maybe this won't work? No, uh, you know, all I knew is I needed a ch- all I knew is I needed a start. I didn't really think much about failure. Um, I think classic entrepreneurs don't really plan to fail; they plan to succeed, and, and uh, you know that's really the way I was about it. And you know, obviously, I was nervous, but we opened up very busy right off the get go, and I had um, nobody really knew me in Columbus, but I had a good reputation to a certain extent, and. And my goal back in those days was to have a media impression every week. I don't care if it was a radio drop-off or, you know, a, a review or a, a charitable donation. Whatever I was doing, I was working real hard uh, in to, to get us noticed. And so I always use the analogy that um, uh, back in those days, nobody had ever heard of Cameron Mitchell or Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. And we are this little restaurant on the northwest side of Columbus. And now today, and I use the snowball analogy, I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and and getting more and more and more recognition. And, uh, and you know, now in Columbus, it's hard to not even, as you said at the beginning of the show, to not hear of Cameron Mitchell restaurants. And so I'm using that exact same uh, strategy and that exact same analogy. Um, now Columbus is that little restaurant on the northwest side of town, and the United States is the city of Columbus. And so I'm, uh, we're continuing to build our reputation out there on a national basis. We we are a national restaurant operator. We have restaurants coast to coast, all up and down the eastern seaboard, and down as far out as Beverly Hills and Dallas and Denver and Scottsdale. And, and um, so it's uh, we've got a pretty good reputation in the industry itself, in the, in the restaurant industry. And, we just continue to keep working on it and continue to keep building. And one of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24, seven, 365. And, and the unique thing about that is, uh, you know, we could, uh, sit here and discuss all day long, um, how successful Karen Mitchell restaurants is, you know, you know, and it depends on your vantage point. You could say we're really successful or moderately successful or a little bit successful, however you want to bill it. But we would agree very quickly that we are somewhat of a successful restaurant company. Everybody would agree with that blanket statement in a matter of seconds. And so uh, my thing is, if we are better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today, by virtue of that alone, tomorrow will be more of a successful restaurant company than we are today. And also it creates a culture of change. You know, you cannot be better at something today than you were yesterday and better at something tomorrow than you are today if you're not growing and changing and, and continuing to hone your craft and that's what we do so um, so that's where that goal comes you know we have thousands of business goals they change daily weekly monthly whenever uh, but that one goal stays the same 24 7 365. so developing that one goal and you touched on something where you said that entrepreneurs are always expecting success and i think part of that is ultimately rooted in a lot of people we talk to they, a lot of them started from nothing, so the fear of failure isn't as strong. Mm-hmm. They know mm-hmm. what it feels like to be there, so success is just something that they're working towards every single day. And I'm interested to hear how you've scaled across the entire nation mm-hmm. and kind of branched out and you've allocated and scaled yourself mm-hmm. and kept the values and kept the goals the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess my main question is there is, what did you focus on that you knew your strong suits were and how did mm-hmm. you know to kind of allocate the rest of those mm-hmm. tasks out to other people? Yeah. Yeah, I used to say in the beginning, nothing from nothing was nothing. So, you know, it was easy to, you know, uh, but I certainly didn't want to fail. My, 
you know, my brother maxed out credit cards to put 10 or 20 grand into the company, you know, I had family and friends and, you know, I didn't want to fail for any, you know, certainly for myself, let alone for everybody else. And, and I've always felt along the way, I've had a lot of responsibility for our people or, our, you know, our community, the charities that we support. We've given millions of dollars to charities and, and, uh, you know, our people that are building their careers, our companies. So there's a lot of pressure there in terms of not failing now because we want to succeed and we want to succeed for our partners and succeed for our community and succeed for our people. So uh, as far as uh, growing across the country and so forth, a lot of people say, you know, uh, they, they think, you know, I have to be there at the restaurant for the restaurant. To, to, and that's my whole thing about the culture and values. I didn't want it to be about me. So, you know, when you go to Disneyland, you know, Mickey Mouse is there 24-7, 365. And so uh, it's been, you know, Mickey is the, you know, what that is. And so our culture is the same way. Now, when we started opening restaurants out of town, the first, in the beginning, I'll never forget, uh, we opened one in Cincinnati. And, and we didn't have, we had a tremendous growth spurt uh, at this point in time. This is in 2000. And our first kind of foray out of Columbus, and, and uh, we had about 10 restaurants, and we grew to 18 over two years. And we didn't have the managers. And so we outside hired a bunch of managers, and we opened up Cincinnati with all outside hires. And, and, and we said, here's our company culture and values, and we trained them to it. But they didn't really know it. And, and uh, sure enough, uh, the culture uh, uh, did not get permeated, did not permeate that uh, restaurant. And uh, we ended up firing the managers, and it took us two and a half years to get the culture right at that restaurant. So we've learned over the years that we will not open a restaurant. A typical restaurant has eight managers, let's say, on a management team. We'll hide, we won't open a restaurant without six of those managers at least being from within the system. And about 80% of our managers were hourly associates at one point, people building their careers at our company. So we've got a, a steady supply of people and pipeline of people that want to grow within our business. And so... Uh, Interesting fact: We do a uh, twice a year. We do a, call it an associate opinion survey, and, and we and it's a you know ton of ton of data about a three ring binder thick of data. But we it's basically to measure our company culture and values and how it's uh, permeating our system and and so forth because that's the mortar that holds the bricks together, right? So, um, and it used to be in the early days, uh, our out of town restaurants the culture never scored as well as our in town restaurants. And we worked very hard to change that. And this last associate opinion survey we got back, and out of our 28 restaurants in the Cameron Mitchell Group, um, the top 10, eight of the top 10 were out-of-town restaurants in terms of our culture and values. So so it's 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 now really even across the board. And we even have restaurants outside of Columbus that actually have a better culture than even some of our in-town. And, and, I, and I mean better, we, we scored a 95%, so it's, you know, the lowest one on the totem pole might be 92% or whatever, but the fact of the matter is uh, that eight of the top 10 were out of, uh, were out of town. So we've, I think, uh, done a good job uh, trying, and that's been the key, really. You know, we, it's all about the people. We're in a people business. It is the restaurant business, but, you know, I look, uh, I have a unique uh, perch on that. I say, um, you know, as CEO of a restaurant company, most CEOs would say, you know, the guest comes first. Every restaurant company in the USA, the guest comes first, and I don't believe that. And I'll take it even a step further and say, I don't even believe we have a direct relationship with our guests. Now, think about it. It sounds kind of crazy on the outside, but we have a direct relationship with the people we work with every day. And those, so I look at it this way. We take care of our people. Our people take care of our guests, and our guests take care of our company. So it is a triangular relationship, and we take care of our people first. And then, and they're the ones that take care of our guests. And then our guests, by being taken care of, take care of our business, our company. And so, you know, I tell people, listen, you know, uh, Hospitality runs the deepest depths in my heart. I don't care if someone's black, white, male, female, eight or 80, doesn't matter to me, I love taking care of people. 
But to really achieve that great guest service, uh, uh, we need to do it through taking care of our people. We have all the same systems and procedures and you know manuals and expectations that every other restaurant company has. Uh, but the difference is how we take care of our people, and it shows. Uh, the number one question I get is, where do you get such great people? You know, and how do you? Uh, the second question is, how do you get to deliver such great service? And I said, you know, we get the same people everybody else does. The same people apply at every other restaurant, apply at our restaurants, and so uh, the difference is, we just treat them great, and, and they're and they're able, you know, and they know we care about them. And when they know we care about them, they care about us, and they care about our guests, and that's really how we achieve that. And, you know, it's funny. So my grandfather owned a restaurant for 31 years in Manhattan, mm -hmm. New York City, mm -hmm. uh, a place called Mike Minucci's. And he thought very similarly to you, which is that your, that your employees were your most important piece. And if you treat mm -hmm. them right, everything will go well. Right, right. And, but one of his big things was that he always said, if your name's going to be on the door, you should be there. But I think that his biggest concern was the culture and how mm -hmm. that culture would, would mm -hmm. shift. And it's interesting how you kind of solve that problem by focusing primarily on the culture and establishing that that mm -hmm. culture so that mm -hmm. you can spread it to all your uh, mm -hmm. restaurants throughout the country. Right. You know, and I think intrinsically, you know, it, it sounds good when people say that their main focus is on the customers because that's what the customers want to hear. But if you focus on your employees, that just naturally spreads out to your customers, mm -hmm. which is what mm -hmm. it sounds like you're saying. Mm -hmm. But in my head, I think the hardest thing to wrap around if I'm putting myself in your shoes and thinking about scaling this restaurant brand and reputation across the nation is, okay, I can do it right here when I'm within Columbus or I can stop in the restaurants on a daily mm -hmm. basis and they know the level of excellence that I keep within myself and they can represent that. But when I'm no longer there every day, how do I make sure that they know what excellence is and that we're going to uphold that inside mm -hmm. of our restaurant? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you know, in the beginning, uh, you know, I never worked harder in my life when I had two or three restaurants because I was in the restaurants every day. I'm not even in the restaurants anymore. Tonight we'll serve, I don't know, 14,000 people today, somewhere 15,000 people. And, you know, I can't do all that. I can't be there, and you know, uh, so it's really the it's our people that are have our reputation in their hands. But you know, we look at our restaurant uh, business as a practice, and um, we have several practices within that practice. So we have an accounting practice, we have an HR practice, we have a marketing practice, food and beverage practice, and and uh, <coughs> I set the standards in the beginning when I was uh, uh, building the company. You know, and um, I always, uh, you know, I always say great restaurateur is difficult. If it was easy, everybody would do it. So, so let's get that on the table right away. It is difficult. You know, we talk. Uh, we have a little theme here about embrace the grind. You know, and uh, um, we have a, a culture that started with me. Um, and you know, we worked our tail off. You know, I used to, you know, go to work at eight in the morning. And, you know, especially when I had a young son who was married, I'd come home at, at 6 or 7 and have dinner and see him in bed and go back to the office and work 8 to midnight, you know. So, uh, but I, I don't do that anymore, but, you know, it's uh, uh, the, the, the standards that we have within all of our various disciplines within the company is very high. And, uh, you know, um, I still set those standards today, but there's a tremendous amount of people that have been with me for many, many years, you know, our whole executive team, Average tenure has been 16 years with the company. Some people have been with 20, 21, 22 years. And so um, they know my standards, so they practice it. When they practice it, the next level, you know, uh, that they report to them, they practice it. It just kind of permeates the organization. You cannot uh, uh, survive in Karamitra restaurants without a good, strong work ethic and a... Uh, uh, and to live within our culture and values. If you don't, you, you, you won't 
you won't be there very long, I guarantee you. So, um, but I always joke with people, if you meet someone that got fired from Kimmer Mitchell restaurants, you got to pat them on the back because they really worked hard at it, <laughs> you know, because, uh, you know, we're not in the business of firing people. We're in a success business, not the failure business. And, and, uh, and we, we always want to turn people around and get them on the right path. And sometimes we can't, but, uh, generally speaking, um, you know, we call it the first six months, uh, is that indoctrination into the culture and values of the company and how we work and, and our certain style of how we work and so forth. And people, you know, usually embrace that. When they do, they stay for a long time. And uh, uh, if they don't, then they end up leaving. So let's start looking forward. What are your goals for Cameron Mitchell restaurants over the next five to mm-hmm, ten years? Mm-hmm. Well, good question. So I've been in the restaurant business 37 years. I started in 1980 as a dishwasher. And I'm 54, and I, I, I really say, uh, uh, if you look at my career, you know, I'm kind of in the fourth quarter of my career, you know, if it's uh, the first uh, four 13-year blocks, if you or three 13-year blocks, and uh, and now I'm into the fourth quarter, and that gets me into my, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, mid to late 60s, and if all goes well after that, I get some overtime and, uh, and making it overtime. But, you know, I'm trying to... Um, uh, move into uh, a little more um, relaxed uh, version of myself and the operation. And, and you know, um, in 2020, I'll be 40 years in the restaurant business, and I think that's a pretty long time for anybody. And, and you know, my kids in 2021, my last kid gets out of co- high school and all my kids will be in college or out of college. And, and you know, uh, my wife will be done with her job, you know, uh, she was a stay-at-home mom. And, and so... You know, my goal is really to, at 57 in the next few years, uh, to be able to uh, come and go as I please with the company and um, and be truly be the chairman and CEO. And uh, I've promoted Dart, my number two guy, to president chief operating officer last year to start that transition uh, over time. And, you know, I want to kind of enjoy my life. And, and uh, you know, I still uh, want to be chairman and I will be as long as I can be. I always joke there are three titles I had, president, uh, uh, chief, you know, CEO, chairman, CEO, and founder, right? So I already gave up one title, the president title, uh, and chief operating officer title. And uh, the next title, uh, chairman and CEO, I'll give that up when my mind is no longer working uh, and I can't execute that job. And uh, I always say the third one I'll give up when I go to the big restaurant in the sky because I could be sitting over there in a corner in a wheelchair with a blanket around me drooling and say, that's our founder over there. So <laughs> as long as I'm on this side of the grass, I'll keep that title. So, um, But our goal is to continue to build a company for its people, you know, for our communities in which we do business, and, and for the charities we support and for our partners. And, you know, my job today is really five parts. And I, I, there's really five things I do and, and really nothing else. And um, one is, uh, in no particular order, but chief strategy officer. You know, I say, listen, and I'll spend most of my time up in the bridge. I use the, you know, the, air, you know, the um, big ship analogy. You know, I don't, I'm not going to be like the, my job is to make sure we don't run the iceberg and sink or we're not the Concordia and run aground. And, and usually that happens when the captain of the ship is kind of, uh, you know, not paying attention or taking shortcuts. And so my job is to manage our strategy so we maintain being in safe harbor. Uh, second piece of my job is the culture, chief culture officer. You know, I tell people as long as I'm in the chair, the culture will be alive and well. And when the culture is alive and well, people know it frees the shackles that bind people. If people know uh, they're in this company, the more they put in, the more they'll get out. So they actually are working for themselves, tying, you know, their wagon to our horse. And so, um, 
it works out very well. So I, I assure people, and I tell people, you know, your career is a one-shot deal. It's not, there's no dress rehearsals, and, and I don't want people wasting their time with our company. If they're going to work hard and work for our company, I want them to, to have the benefits of that and to, and to build their career. And we've got, you know, hundreds of CMR marriages and hundreds of babies and, you know, dozens and hundreds of stories of people started as an hourly, you know, and now, you know, making six-figure-plus incomes and working hard, you know, moving up the ladder. And, and so we have a responsibility for that to continue. So we're going to continue to build and develop restaurants, and um, we're going to continue to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And, and at that, but I'm slowly trying to uh, release the reins a little bit and pass the reins on to the people behind me, and, um, and I want to move into that next phase of my life. So as we begin to wrap things up, you mentioned a little bit there some of your personal goals and tied in with the restaurant in general. Um, maybe diving more to personal level, is there, has there been anything that changed from when you first started restaurants, what motivated you to what motivates you today? Um, is something like retirement something that you even would ever want? I, let me notice a lot of people who are entrepreneurs and work this hard, you know, like retirement sounds like death mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. No, I, I have no desire to retire. Um, but I do desire to have a little more freedom and a little more flexibility, so... And work a little less, quite frankly, you know, but because uh, um, I am tired. I'm running out of gas a little bit and, and I'm getting older. So so that's a natural progression, I think. But um, I have no desire to, to, to hang up the hat. It's really, has anything changed over the years? No. I mean, you know, uh, the numbers are bigger. Um, that's really about it. Uh, you know, I, I still get up every day for work with the same zest I did uh, 25 years ago. So... Um, I still love what I do. So really nothing has changed in that regard. Um, we're a lot better than we used to be. You know, I know a lot more about the restaurant business than I did 25 years ago. And, um, you know, I personally am trying to get better every day. And, and so it's just, it's just, uh, I, I want to, you know, continue on and, but ease, you know, back a little bit along the way. So when looking back on it, kind of what gives you the most pride? Is it the level of success you've been able to build for your family and to pass down to your children? Has it been the name and the reputation that you've created and the way that people feel when they leave and come mm-hmm. into your restaurants? Yeah, I mean, there's just so many things to check box, you know, check the box of what, what feels good. And and uh, I don't know that I can name any one particular thing that's been the best thing about it. But, uh, um, you know, uh, I think just the impact we've had on people's lives across the board has been phenomenal and I've gotten hundreds of letters over the years of people that worked for us through college and you know thanking me for providing them a great place for their work where they could pursue their rest of their, their other careers and their other dreams and and, um, and they've taken our culture with them and used it in their life and and how we've changed their lives and this and that so I think that has probably been the, the greatest uh, joy of all um, you know and, and uh, you know my kids uh, uh, you know get to see their dad, you know, work hard and, and succeed. I think that's a great lesson to teach our kids and, and they, you know, the, the value of hard work and, and my kids, and they've turned out to be great kids and, you know, because i got a great mom that uh, has, helped, has taken care of them all these years while I'm out sowing, the, you know, working the fields. So uh, it's been great. So it's, I'm happy on all, basically all accounts in terms of uh, uh, looking back at our success over the years. And, you know, success is fleeting. I never really think about it. I don't really, you know... Uh, you know, I, I think also entrepreneurs share that same trait where, you know, they, you know, I always say, you know, I'm always joke. the sky's always falling. I'm always worried, you know, that, uh, 
uh, one wrong move, one wrong misstep. So we, we just, uh, that pressure is always there and has never subsided that. You know, do I have more confidence today now? Yes, I have more confidence. But uh, the fact of the matter is, I don't think I'd be a, a true entrepreneur if I didn't have that fear factor, you know. Uh, and so, so that continues with us every day, too, even we even when we are successful. Mm-hmm. I think that leads well into one of our last questions we always ask our guests, which is centered around our mantra here on the mm-hmm. show, which is, live uncomfortably mm-hmm. uh, because we feel purposeful dis- discomfort in your lives is mm-hmm. always a good thing mm-hmm. and it helps you improve so uh, what do you think of when you hear the phrase and how does it apply to your life well, I was really uncomfortable at the gym this morning if that helps uh, <laughs> you know uh, yeah I mean um, boy live uncomfortably yeah I look at that a couple different ways because you know I always live uncomfortably I'm always working and you know chasing it you know my tail and uh, driving the business and you know then you know uh, that's not coasting, you know, and coasting is kind of comfortable, you know, so I, I guess I'm always living uncomfortably, but uh, on the same token, I want to live more comfortable, you know, so uh, uh, and I think that's fair to say. I think, you know, if someone gets in their 50s or 60s, you know, I would hope they they want to live a little more comfortable, but certainly, uh, you know, in 20s and 30s and 40s, it's time to work. And I tell my kids this all the time. I say, listen, you know, when it's time to work, it's time to work. And when it's time to play, it's time to play. And the problems come when you work when it's time to play or you play when it's time to work. And I said, uh, you don't mix those two up and make sure you enjoy both and, and work hard and do and work hard at both. Play hard and work hard. And, um, but don't mix the two together, per se. You know, I mean, I have a lot of fun at work, don't get me wrong, but, but we're still working. You know, we're still at work. And, and, uh, and, you know, so that's what I would do, I would say, in terms of that. Hopefully that helps. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good place to wrap up. Uh, you have any last words before we uh, end the show here? No, it's been a pleasure being here with you guys. And uh, I hope uh, whoever's listening out there, I hope this helps them and and, uh, and find their way and, uh, uh, and find their way to conquer Columbus. So, Thanks a lot, Cameron. And uh, thanks a lot, Conquerors, for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. That was Cameron Mitchell talking about his journey in the restaurant business. We'll talk to you guys next week. If you like that episode, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media. We're all over the place, guys. Share it with your friends. Also want to ask you if you could do us a big favor, check out that podcast app you're listening to us on and go ahead and click that subscribe button. Again, it really helps us out and it makes sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. Last thing we want to do before we let you go here is give one last shout out to all of our incredible sponsors. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. 
You can learn more or check out a free trial at GoFMX.com. Mike here again. And if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city, please reach out to me at Mike at ConqueringColumbus.com. There will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode. And if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, folks, that's all we got. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.